Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to today's episode 25 of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. Today's episode is our last one for season number one, and we'll be back in a few weeks with another 25 great episodes for season number two. And to close out this season, we have an awesome interview to share with you all today. And we're going to go to the other side of the globe to get this one. So my guest today was not only a culinary school student at the Center for Culinary Arts in Manila, Philippines, but for the last three years has been a culinary instructor teaching the next generation of chefs. And she is here today to share her culinary school story. So now let's meet today's guest, Chef Joyce Kalayag. Joyce, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on and sharing your culinary school story with all the listeners. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Wonderful, and thank you. It's, it's 9 o'clock at night there. It's 9 in the morning here, so we've got a little bit of time difference. I'm having my morning coffee, and you're probably getting ready to finish dinner and go to bed. So, <laughs> so how does it feel to be the final guest episode of season number one well i feel very honored to be invited to speak and as well i'm a bit tense because it's my first time and <laughs> i was aware it will be um it will it will play in different countries sure this is online yeah well so it's kind of uh, very new to me, first time. Well, it'll be it'll be fun to hear your story. And in honor of today, since it's the end of our season, I have even brought out the swag. For those who can't see or watching this video, uh, you can see that I have a t-shirt on. See, Culinary School Stories t-shirt. <laughs> and I even brought out my coffee mug, Culinary School Stories coffee mug. So it's the end of our first season, which has been very wonderful. You know, we've had 25 great episodes and we've had a lot of subscribers and a lot of listeners. And we want to continue that with um, season number two. And if anyone wants these shirts and stuff, we're now, we've put them on our, our website. You can go to chefroach.com under the store tab, storefront tab, where I keep all the other uh, swag materials from my other shows. You can actually purchase uh, shirts and mugs and everything else that's listed there. And in the road, uh, down the road, I'm going to be having a contest too. So keep your eyes out for that and we'll announce that through the email list. So if you haven't signed up for email, please do so. Um, also, I'll probably do it on our YouTube channel. So we'll have a contest giving away some of these shirts and t-shirts and stuff. Okay, Joyce. So let's start right out at the beginning. How did you go to culinary school? What, what, where did your love of food start? Tell us, bring us back to that, you know, when you realize that, that moment, okay, food is for me. Well, for me, it started very early. And, you know, I understand that some people, they spend a lot of time, years, to figure out what they want. But it so happened for me, it started very early around, um, my mom would say, as early as five months old, I know how to hold a spoon already. Wow. And then she just kind of encouraged me growing up. Um, instead of textbooks or coloring books, I would have cookbooks to play with. And um, modeling clays, you know, the, the pretend cookware tea set. And that encouraged me and um, inspired me a lot to, to, to cook and to bake. I was very fascinated with um, cookbooks, the cooking shows, and you know the, the labels that you find in the cake boxes mm -hmm. with pictures or the, the pictures that you see wrapped around cans of condensed milk, sure, fresh milk, those things. So that kind of inspired me a lot and decided that um, it's something that I would really want to pursue. So going to college after high school, I decided right then at 16 that instead of um, formal college, which is four years, 
I will take the vocational route, which is two years of baking instead. Awesome. And you went to school. You were you were young, right? You were 16. You were yeah. probably one of the youngest ones in school at the time. Where did you end up going to school again? Right after high school, I proceeded to Center for Culinary Arts, Manila, and that was 2008. So that time I was 16. Wow. And let's, let's back it up here for a minute. When you decided to pursue culinary arts mm -hmm. um, and go into this career or this profession, how did your family take it? How did your parents, how did your friends, when you said, I'm going to become a chef, what was their thoughts? Were they supportive? Were they talking you out of it? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, they already knew that it was something that I would really want to do because, again, growing up, I was very inspired with cooking and baking. But um, in this side of the world, Filipinos are very traditional when it comes to education. And um, being Asian, you know how uh, most Asian parents are. They're very traditional. You have to take a four-year traditional course in college or university in order to, to be considered a professional in your field. And the time that was 2008, there weren't much schools or programs that would offer a four-year course for an intensive culinary program or baking program. So what I did was I just kept on looking, browsing for college course. You know, most of my peers went to nursing school, engineering school, and then I was like left out. I couldn't decide. And it was a um, few weeks before the start of school or the school year, and I still haven't enrolled anywhere. And that's when I decided maybe if this is something that you really want, just be honest and just proceed with it. At first, uh, my family was not very supportive. I would say they tried to talk me out of it. Like, you know, just uh, take any course and then you might want it later on, like dentistry or a pre-med. But I was very certain at the time, I was 16, that I'm not sure what I would want to do after. I might just take the, the four-year course, but I have no plans. But if I take a culinary and a baking course, I have so many plans. Like, I want to teach, I want to write the book, I want to work in a hotel and stuff. And I just sort of figured that's what I want to do and I would proceed with that. And they were hoping that you would take one or two classes and then maybe lose interest and say, ah, it's not for me. I'm going to go yeah. become an engineer or a lawyer or something, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so at some point, they must have figured out, nope, this is, this is the path. You're <laughs> not going to get, you're not going to change. So they had yeah. to get on board, right? <laughs> at that age, 16, well, um, what happened was they kind of let you do your thing. And when something uh, becomes off, if you find it, too hard because culinary school is difficult it's exhausting so they were kind of hoping that if she gets exhausted she'll quit and then she'll go to find uh, she'll go find a university that would fit her more were they asking you all the time so are you tired you still like it do you still like it <laughs> <laughs> no uh, not that point to that point but uh, they were just kind of hoping that maybe i would change my mind but mm. I, I didn't so let me jump ahead here for a little bit. You're also a culinary instructor now. So how do you advise parents now who may be hesitant of sending their children to your school? How do you, you know, convince them or how do you, you know, provide them with information so that they can make an informed decision about sending their child to your school? To be honest, Chef, open houses helps a lot because uh, I remember there was a, a season when most of my students were 16, 17, or um, 18, which just came out from uh, senior high school. So a lot of parents would come with their kids and they would say, how come uh, the tuition fee is so expensive and the program is not a bachelor's degree? But then uh, I have to explain to them that the program is very intensive. It leads you to, to a career path with a plan. Like if you want to become a chef, you can you can work in a hotel, you can work overseas, you can become a teacher, and so many more. The thing is, um, in this part of the, the world around the time, um, there are not much professionals who are not a four-year degree 
graduate. Most would be um, career shifters. So what I would tell the parents is, if your child already knows what they want, what he wants, what she wants, it's a good thing. Because a lot of, of career shifters just keep on shifting courses, but they don't really know what they want. But they end up not only wasting money for courses that they don't finish, but also losing time for doing things that they don't really want instead of focusing on something that they, they want. And I also tell them, you know, if your child is 16, 17, 18, that's plenty of time to get skills. By the time they are 26, maybe they are already have climbed up the ladder, already bosses or already with enough experience to, to open their own business or to teach and so on and so forth. And uh, that kinds of open their mind. Yeah, this is a, a career, like a professional career that you can start as early as when you are 16 or 17. Do you find that society over there, the general consensus is that they look down on culinary, they look down on the trades, they want them to go and, and, and guess get a professional type degree instead? Is that what is that their imp impression? There was a time, Chef, that that was the case. It so happened now that it's 2020. A lot of things has changed. There are more schools now in the Philippines that are off offering program. Uh, there are more marketing materials or collaterals that you can see online. But way back, there were just a handful of schools. So um, because of these schools having expensive tuition fees, you, they kind of get the, the notion that it's just a, a fancy hobby. Mm -hmm. And anyways, it's not a four-degree course and it's so expensive. So they kind of like thinking, oh, this is just an expensive hobby. It's, it will not get you anywhere or anywhere that far and uh, now it's 2020 what's great is the education system has also improved so there are more universities offering a more intensive more aligned program before there's just bachelor in hotel and restaurant management now there is um, uh, bachelors in culinary operations or kitchen operations which is um, a proof of the education system has become more aligned and the curriculum has became more consistent and more relevant to what the students want. Yeah, it's kind of similar to what we went through here in the United States and uh, chefs and, and pastry chefs and you know, culinarians, they were listed in the uh, Department of Labor as domestics. But in 19, I think it was 76, mm -hmm. I think the American Culinary Federation petitioned to get that change to it elevated to a profession. And once it became a profession, more schools flourished. So now people would go to school for that and, you know, became a profession. It became, a, you know, more than a hobby or considered a domestic. So we've had that change, though even still today, some people I think would look down on it a little bit, but yeah. at least it's elevated the schools a little bit. Okay, let's go back to culinary school then. So your first day, you must have been so excited. If since you know one, two years old, you were uh, you were loving food, and your whole you know going through high school, and now you get to pursue that dream. Tell us about going there, and you know what the experience was like, and was there any letdowns that you found, or was it all like good, or you know kind of walk us through that. In case someone's listening that wants to go to culinary school or where you went. Because I was just fresh out from high school that time. I have no idea what, what's it like to, to go to a university. And my school, my culinary school, was just a small, tight-knit community. It's just a one, one square school. It's not like a big campus. So the first day, I remember I was very tense because I didn't know what to expect. And uh, the instructors were very formal, very strict. So you were told what to do, what to expect. And a lot of my classmates didn't expect that culinary school is like a sort of a military boot camp. Like they, they, they shape you, they discipline you, they give you a lot of quizzes, uh, they give you long lectures before you are let to, to cook in the kitchen. And for maybe two months, it was just all lectures. And... <laughs> 
most of my classmates didn't expect that. Most of us were just expecting that, okay, we will come in the morning, we'll, we'll cook, we'll be happy, and just eat, and then just go home. And it wasn't the case. It was a formal training. And that kind of opened my eyes more that, okay, this is a, a proper school. It's not just a hobby school. Yeah, it's like a business degree while getting a learning a craft at the same time. You know, you got to put both of those together. Yes, I agree. But however, the, the length is very cramped, but intensive mm -hmm. compared to a four-year course. And for those, uh, I think, listeners out there that may be aspiring to go to culinary school, you, you, you bring up a great point because they don't realize. They think, you know, maybe we're going to just go cook and have some lunch and, and relax. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, it's pretty regimented. And you're right on point when it's militaristic. You know, it is like a boot camp. You know, the uniform, the lineups that go in, the, the, the hierarchy, yeah. the brigade system with the chef, sous chef all the way down. So, you know, it's, it's not for, necessarily maybe someone that's more weak at heart because when you go in there at least that first year is pretty regimented and tough where you got to learn those fundamentals and get those lectures and then you get to be a little bit more on the creative side yes, uh, as you go up through the ranks so okay so you went there and uh you were getting your first taste of it so after what two months did you get to go to labs three months when, what was your first lab what was that like I took culinary for a year before I proceeded to baking. And the first lab for both for both um, program is knife skills. So you have to do the, the dices, the, the different cuts, and then butchery as well. So you had to fabricate chicken, fish, those things. But fortunately, in this side of um, the world, we don't, uh, that time, we don't butcher the whole pig anymore. It just comes into slabs and then you just have to clean it. Example, if it's a rib, then you clean the rib part or if it's a belly part, then you clean the belly part. It's not like way, way back before that they give you the whole pig live and then you, you butcher it. <laughs> that was your first class then, huh? That was the first class. And I remember I was the slowest in the class. Really? Is, is that class what drove you to baking and pastry or you already had that as a dream? I already intended to do baking and pastry as like a, a mastery or an expertise. But I also wanted to do the cooking part just so I have more skills. But I knew already from that point that it's something that I'm not very great at. I have to work harder compared to baking. But um, it's not because I quit. That's why I, I shifted. It's more of like... Baking is something I wanted to to learn more than the hot cooking. Sure, and culinary school is kind of like medical school. You all start at the same place, learning basic anatomy, and then you specialize. You branch off, and you can do yeah. baking and pastry. You can do front of the house. You can do nutrition. You could do you know the culinary chef traditional route. So you know there's ways that you can specialize within that uh, degree. I agree. Okay, so what was your best class? What was your favorite out of them all? Out of is there one that stands out? Maybe because of the topic, maybe because of the instructor. Is there one that you just, you know, still fondly remember? So fortunately for us, I remember on the hallway when you walk past by, there's a bulletin board, and on the bulletin board they posted the curriculum. So it's kind of a academic calendar. For example, June. In July, the classes are this, and then um, August onwards, this is these are the classes. So you get to see, okay, on the on the December, on December there will be a grand buffet, and then on January the classes will be ice creams, and then come um, come March the classes is just chocolates. So that kinds of inspires you that okay, in a few months time you learn chocolates. A few months time, you learn how to make wedding cakes and all stuff. So for for us, we already know the the subjects that are coming, and we're more like excited that this class is kind of boring, it's kind of heavy. At least this ice cream classes will come, and everyone loves ice creams and everyone loves chocolates. So it's kind of sometimes it's boring class, but then you get to see which are the exciting classes. And uh, fortunately also for us, the instructors are very cool. They're very skilled, but also very cool, which is an amazing experience. Wow, great, great. 
So what is what is something you wish you knew before you got there? Like now after you've gone through school or you're a teacher now and you reflect, what is a piece of advice you could give to someone who hasn't gone yet? And you're like, this is something you should do or something you should know in advance to get it. It'll make the path so much easier if you do this one or two things. I think you should really be decisive if it's something that you want to pursue because not only that it's expensive, it's exhausting. I mean, you go to, to school 6 a.m. and um, go home in the afternoon. If you're lucky, if you only have one class a day, you go home after lunch. But what if you have a full day? Let's say you finish at 6 p.m. and you have quizzes. You have to make your action plans. You have to prepare your uniforms and stuff. So you just have to decide, is that something that you want to do? Because the thing is, after school, that's the life that you will get. When you go to the restaurant or the hotel, you wake up at 6, you prepare your stuff, you go to your station, and then you go home late. And then you prepare your action plan the next day or your prep list. So it's just a really a preparation for, for the career. And not only that, it's a waste if it's... It's not something that you really want because it's expensive. It's very expensive to study culinary and baking and also the time. Um, some students, they finish the course, but they don't practice. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the case here, from my experiences, um, in my batch, there were like a hun- um, 100, 80 to 100 students. And when we graduated, we were only 30-something. Wow. And then now, presently, um, those 38 or 40 students, not all of those are practicing culinary or baking. And it's just uh, a bit of sad because I hope that everyone practices it. And now the, the difference that it would make 10 years later, where would they be if they only consistently practice and hone their skills? That would make a lot of difference. Yeah, that is that is so true. It's, it's a hard... Uh, academic route as well as an industry, you know, so it's hard to write at the beginning, uh, physically and mentally, which a lot of people don't know because you're on your feet, working hard. A lot of people working while in school. So now they have to go to their shift and the industry is hard. You know, it's, it can be pretty brutal on you. So, um, people should know that up front that it's not uh, a hobbyist thing. It, it is an industry and some people thrive off of that. You know, they really get excited about that, mm-hmm. you know, working. They're really physical. They're hands on, but others, it may be more of a surprise. Now you did mention it's expensive, which it is. Culinary school is expensive because there's not many students in a class. They can't put 300 in a lecture hall. You know, it's 15, 20 and you got to buy food. Sure. You got to buy expensive food, good food that you can have the, the students work with. So that drives up the cost, which is surprising for a lot of people. So maybe you could speak to the tuition and, and how you paid yourself when you went to school and, and how you made it work and, you know, and, and got, got through it financially. Well, here in the Philippines, we don't have student loan programs. So um, traditionally, for us to to go to college or university, the parents send us to school. That's why the parent approval is very important because it's the parents who will pay for the school fees. So um, apart from that, um, even if you work part-time as a student, it will not be enough to to go to a culinary school because um, here, if you will balance it against the normal or average family income, uh, tuition fee is like buying a car. And then uh, the average family income will not be enough to buy a car for a tuition fee every year or um, for the whole program. That's why it's so it become it, it became exclusive at some point way back uh, tuition was um, 900,000 pesos which is uh, if you divide to, to dollars right now that would be like $25,000 upfront mm. for for the whole program and that's very expensive so what happened was again the, the parents would send us to school and the the classmates that you will get are mostly from the middle class to the upper class. It's very rare to find someone who is from the the lower class or from a very small average family income to go to a culinary school. So what I did was um, initially my siblings supported me, but I had to figure out, I had to get the scholarship for me to to sustain the the whole program because I only, I, I took three years in, in total 
first year is a culinary program, which my, my siblings paid. And then for the baking part, which is another two years that I had to, to work on my own, which is the scholarship again. So the tuition over there is obviously expensive like here, but there is no federalized student loan program where they could borrow the money, mm-hmm. get the degree, and then once they're out working and bringing in <clears throat> excuse me, an income, then they could pay it back. Instead, over there, it obviously falls on the parents who would have the money. So that's their savings, right? Mm-hmm. And they would have to pay the school for that. So that that's a big big chunk of money at one time to try to help someone to go to school and especially if they don't think that's going to turn into a lucrative career for them to be able to you know survive yes wow so what kind of scholarships could someone go for then what who is who is offering that those grants that money well, fortunately now the schools that have opened are more affordable a lot of schools with um, concise and intensive curriculum has opened and um, most of them would give a a reimbursary not so not so much but it would help so for example in one school that i i worked at they give a deferral payment instead of paying the whole or half of the the program fee you can pay ten thousand pesos a month instead until you finish the program which is like three hundred dollars a month so if you're working student you can fulfill that that three hundred dollars a month hmm. because you're working or your parents can help you which is which is good and then apart from that um universities with culinary degree um they also offer scholarship there's half scholarship there's alumni scholarship and also from from the provinces i heard uh, which is very fortunate that i've taught students who were under provincial scholarship so the, the representatives of their provinces have support has been supporting students by giving 50% scholarship and full scholarship in exchange of good grades so you study you maintain good grades you qualify if the the school finds you eligible they endorse you to the to the congress to the office of the congressman or the representative and say uh, these are the list of students with good standing uh, you can select who you want to support and these are the the list of students you can support with 50 percent scholarship and these are the students you can support for full scholarship and then what what's good about that is it encourages a lot of students to study better because they can avail the full scholarship next time or the half scholarship, which helps their parents. Sure, the incentives there do well. You're going to get some reward for that. Now, over here, we also have, one, we have tuition reimbursement from some employers. So if you're working, they can give you money. And we also have a big... uh, you know, military. Uh, so for servicemen, service women who have worked, they get some tuition free mm-hmm. if, once they come back to kind of retrain them. Do you have that as well? And do you see a lot of students currently using that type of um, programs to offset their finances? In my experience, I only know uh, maybe three students that was a scholar of their bosses, but it's um, it's more of a private conversation with their boss it's not the it's not a an organization that supports culinary students and um we have military students but they are from the u.s i'm not sure about the philippine military if they have the similar program but most of the students that we have that that were in the military were from the u.s Good. Yeah, because an educated workforce is so important. So anything that the government or the private industry can do to help, mm-hmm. you know, students go to school and to offset some of that finance is just is so, so important. Okay, so let's go talk about influences. You're an influence now to your students. Who influenced you going up through the ranks, going through school, going through your career? Who were uh, two, three, four influences? You want to give a shout out to a couple of them? Who was a mentor? Who was an influence on you? Well, I have I have had this um, instructor in culinary school who I was very fortunate to to also have as a, a to also have as a boss in my uh, previous uh, teaching experience. His name is Michael Yap, Chef Mike Yap. So Chef Mike Yap was my instructor in culinary school. And I remember, I am not sure if he already knew this, but he was very strict. 
Um, he was very strict, very good skills, a very smart, prim, and proper man that with a commanding voice. Uh, so Chef Mikeyap was a very quiet man. He is a a very serious man. When he walks or enters the classroom, everyone um, settles down. He doesn't have to raise his voice. He was just like, say, class or guys. And everyone will, shh, quiet. He's got a presence in the classroom, huh? Exactly. He has this presence. Um, it amazes me even when he became a boss that sometimes I look at him and say, how come a man just walks in and everyone, shh, and I wish I would um, earn that um, presence or voice. Uh, you don't have to speak to be heard. You just walk in, uh, stand tall, and everyone listens to you. But I think also it, it, he, his skills matters. I remember watching him do his demos. It's very precise. And um, he can really explain things. And I remember I was not feeling well for for a few days already, but I can't miss his classes because, again, in culinary school, the program is very shortened. And uh, if you miss a class, that would affect your grades a lot. Just like a day of absence would would cause you to fail. So I I can't skip the class. So I went in for the class. It's a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. class. And I was having fever at the time, but I didn't tell him. So by around 5.30 p.m., I was already um i almost fainted wow <laughs> i was fainted and so i didn't tell him that i wasn't feeling well and then the next day he asked me if you need anything you let me know and that was the first time that he smiled at me <laughs> wow <laughs> i'm not sure if i already told him and uh, that kind of inspired me to to work harder and to um earn as much experience that I could so that one day if I become a teacher as well, I can have a student look at me and say, this is someone I want to I wanna, um, be like in a year's time. And I'm not sure if I have told him already, but um, that incident really inspired me a lot that this is someone I can look up to. This is someone um, I can just watch and <laughs> wait for him to do his thing. And learn something and working for him um was very tense for me because this is this was my former instructor who became a boss and colleague and he saw me from the 16 year old to the 29 year old presently and he would say if you just see yourself how much you have grown then you realize a lot of fears makes a lot of changes and do well to people and uh, that would that would be the advice I would like to give to to the students. If you give yourself some time, even just three years, five years, it will do a lot to you, skills wise and experience and maturity. It will really widen your your scope. Yeah, uh, school is supposed to change you, right? You're supposed to go into school and come out the other side a different person. You're supposed to change, mold, maybe better, maybe worse, but you should come out differently and hopefully. Those people that we interact with, students, obviously, but uh, teachers, uh, make some kind of impression on us. And there's a few that do stick out. And as you mentioned, you have yours that almost become, you know, a role model, a mentor that we can then try to emulate as we go through our careers. Mm -hmm. Now, you did mention absences in lab uh, just a minute ago. And I want to touch on that because even at, you know, our schools over here at Johnson and Wales University yeah. in a lab class, because they're so intense and so short and they're nine days or seven days, you cannot miss. And if you do miss a day, you know, we, I think in our nine day labs, we allow one absence, but it doesn't exactly. usually affect your grade. Uh, but two, you're automatically dropped and you have to take the class again because of that, you know, contact hours. You have to be there for that. That could be the day you're learning about, I don't know, hollandaise sauce. And if you miss it you don't get that skill to Mm -hmm. use to go on to other classes so i don't think people realize that the intensity of that and you and it does force you unfortunately when you're ill or you're not feeling well you know i think i'll sleep in today (laughs) no that does not happen you are obligated to go if you're not feeling well you have to show up 
Yeah. And we tried to discourage that because obviously if someone comes in sick, they're going to spread things. We want them to stay home. But at the same time, it's hard to say, well, you're going to drop the class and then you're going to be charged and you're going to have to take it again and it's going to delay your graduation. Exactly. And they also to go to school, even if they're sick. All right. Just not tell anyone yeah. that they're not feeling well. Yeah. And it's kind of carries over into the industry. When you're in the industry and you're working the line or it's a Friday night or a Saturday night or holiday, they expect you there. And unless you're, you know, really sick and on your way to the <laughs> hospital, you go and take a couple of, you know, Advil or Tylenol yes. and, and get in there. <laughs> um, another thing you talked about was his presence when he walked into that lab and the students just quieted. They paid right attention. And that's because of his demeanor and his personality that precedes him and, and, and his professionalism and obviously skill level and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. do you notice a difference between male and female instructors? Do the, do the students perceive them differently? Is the, is the male or female student perceived differently? And how is that looked at uh, over there in the Philippines? I think in my experience, um, female instructors or chefs instructors are perceived more serious. Uh, students get to quiet more, listen more when they see a female instructor coming towards them. Because I don't know, maybe because the, the motherly instincts that this is this is a teacher. Okay. And then uh, commonly male instructors are the funnier ones. They're the the well more chill instructors really i think that was the case for me if in my experience when i was a student if this the instructor is a female i just have to gauge is she like a mommy instructor or is she like a sister instructor which uh someone who jokes someone who doesn't yell someone who just say it's okay calm down versus an instructor who is very very strict or like a tiger Tiger, uh, iron lady teacher. And uh, in my experience, the iron fist instructors fell towards the, the female than the, the male. Really? Yeah, in my, that's my experience. I'm not sure for, for other people that, but in my experience, the female chefs, they are tougher in classes than the, the male counterparts. And why do you think that is? Maybe because female were motherly. And, um, you know, when you are a mom, you instill the discipline. And also, you are more um, focused on the, the quietness, organization, because that's your thing as a, as a mommy or as a, as a woman. Everything has to be clean. Everything has to be in order. If you don't listen to me, I will discipline you, yeah. <laughs> those things. And um, I know this is a male instructor somewhere, like, let them do their thing. They are adults. They will listen. But... For us women, we're like more into control. If you don't listen to me, I will make you listen to me. Those things. <laughs> so, what type are you? If I had asked some of your students, well, what do you think of you know your chef? How would they describe you? Would they think you're the the, the maternal type that's going to be nice and crack jokes, or are you going to be really? They think you're a strict one. Uh, they will probably say I'm a grumpy one. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I think I'm a grumpy one. Um, given my age, I think I'm leaning towards the the someone who who jokes in classes just to 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 make it lively. Because again, most of my students are just most most of them. Most of my students are the same age as I am. But uh, given that I am young, I also have to to project a a character that I am firm which is also a challenge for me. I remember when I started teaching, my, um, my dean in, in the university said, you look so young. You have a baby face and these students will look at you like you're an older sister, not an instructor. So if you can just project or fake it, that you are firm, you are grumpy, you're very strict, it will help. And again, my voice is also very low. So I have to modulate it a little mm -hmm. because my voice is very low and I have a lot of students who are the same age as me or almost same age as me. And they, they will not really pay attention to me if I, if I don't. 
And those are the challenges that I experienced starting. Yeah, because it's probably a, a, a pro and a con there. One, you're their age, so you can relate to what they're going through. You could talk about, you know, popular culture, all of those things. But at the same time, mm-hmm. they, they may cross that line, that teacher-student line too often because now they think – you're a little too familiar, a little too comfortable, and then become like a friend to them, and and then they lose that that role model. Yeah. So that's a fine line that you would you would have to imagine you would have to walk when you teach. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to culinary school, how would you recommend someone pick one? How do you choose a school now that there's so many you know popping up over there, and there's other many choices that someone could do? What what would you recommend someone do to pick the best one for them? It's very important to know the curriculum that works for you. For example, if um, you already have a degree, of course, you don't go to the university that offers four-year course. Otherwise, you have to start from the very beginning, which is the first year. But if you think that you already are old enough, you can proceed to to the, the trade schools. Example, you just want a additional continuing education or if you are straight from senior high school and you, you want to skip the four-year course and do the, the trade school, you can also do that. But I would recommend that you check the curriculum apart from checking the tuition fees. There are schools offering expensive courses, but the, the, the program is not intensive. And there are schools offering uh, very affordable rates, but the programs are not intensive and not competitive. So I would suggest, again, you check the curriculum, then you check also the, the tuition fee compared compared the cost. And if you can, check the names of the instructors. It's good if the school is popular, if the school is joining competitions, if the schools have affiliates overseas, example, the American Federal uh, American Chess Federation, they say it, right? Yeah, American Culinary Federation, or, you know, there's different ones, Canadian Professional uh, Culinary Federation, there's a few different mm-hmm. ones, yeah. So, example, the school is an affiliate, and that's uh, good, because it means the school is recognized overseas, and the program is um, recognized globally. But, again, there are schools who offer very cheap, affordable courses, but they, they don't give you a certificate or diploma that is nationally or in, internationally recognized. Right, yeah, because it's, it's what is the objective that you're looking for? If it's a hobbyist, you just want to go learn to make some dumplings or, you know, a couple of dishes, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the instructor in there is someone that's been, you know, just learned it or someone that's been teaching it in their home kitchen. But then there's others, the professional schools that, you know, if you could find out who they hire for their faculty – that's important because, you know, do they have advanced degrees? Do they have masters? Do they have PhDs? Have they been yeah. in the industry? Are they certified? You know, that can help, you know, with the, with your resume or your portfolio CV when you come out, you know, who, who taught you? Now, speaking of furthering your education, you are currently going after, I believe, your master's degree. Could you tell us about your master's degree? Or did you already get your master's degree? And where did you get it? And what what topic, uh, subject did you study and get it in? Right now, I'm in the process of um, uh, com- going to a master's degree course in University of Wollongong, Australia, which is in Sydney. So I would want to do the vocational education master's because um, as an educator, I've been in a room where I am the youngest. And I've also been in the room where most of my colleagues have either master's or PhD. And my age being the youngest, I feel like I am not that equipped to teach the courses that these instructors are teaching because not only that I'm young, I don't have the degrees that they have. So that encouraged me to to study further. But again, um, it's a person-to-person basis. If you don't want to teach, you don't have to. But if you want to, then it's better because you get to share more if you know more. And you're, you're more effective as an educator if uh, you have a master's or a PhD. That's why I decided to, to pursue it. Right now, I just um, completed a recognition for prior learning in uh, Sydney also for patisserie. What w- it will do to me is uh, it will give me qualification to teach 
in a trade school overseas, also locally, to teach patisserie and also at the same time uh, be a professor in a vocational school because it's a vocational education, master's, and a specialization in, in patisserie. And is that an online class? Are you going to have to go for residency to Sydney or you have to go there or it can be done all through the internet? Now it's a blended learning um, setup. So I have to go there as well for a few months and uh, complete the, the, the course, but most of it will be offered online. Great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big advocate, as most educators are, for lifelong learning. I mean, that's why we're in education. We value education. So, therefore, we're always learning, right? We always want to go to school and, and keep pursuing that. And it does help because, as you mentioned, it makes us a better instructor, a better teacher because we're more knowledgeable. But it's also for our own, you know, uh, our own goals, our own, you know, plans, our own CV, you know, to keep growing <laughs> mentally and, and academically. So now that you've looked back on it, is it worth it? Is it worth going to culinary school? Is it is it worth the, the path that you picked? And is it the path that you would recommend to others or any changes you would make to that if you could now with that, that benefit of looking backwards? Chef, personally, I, I think that it's worth it. But I would just like to share also, um, I've, I've had students, a lot of them are career shifters. And I've also had students who are um, almost as age as my parents. And whenever I ask them, because it, uh, it's uh, common in the first day of class that you, you ask your students to, to introduce themselves and say a little about themselves. And the, the common question would be, why just now? And a lot of them would say, it's just, I wasn't confident earlier. It's something that I didn't want to pursue earlier because I don't have the approval of other people. I feel like uh, it's not traditional and those things. And what they have lost is time. I have, a, have, I have had a lot of students who would tell me, imagine if I proceeded with this five years ago, 10 years ago, I will not be regretting the years spent not doing it by now, I will have a lot of skills and a lot of experience. And um, personally, I think also the earlier you start, the better for you because it gives you more time to, to earn the skills and earn the experience. But it doesn't matter if you are 16, if you are 25, you're a career shifter or a mother or a grandmother. If it's something that you really want, then it's just being honest to yourself to pursue it regardless of other people's approval or not. Because the society will follow. If they see you thriving and happy, they will support you. And again, that's also very important to determine that it's something that you want to do. Because if you were honest enough to pursue it, other people will also get encouraged to pursue what they also want. Yeah, life is short. You need to, you know, go after those dreams and those goals and those passions and whatever point in life that happens. Obviously, if you can do it younger, you have more time in mm -hmm. pursuing and, and, and doing those things that you enjoy the most. But, you know, if the revelation comes later on, you know, that's when you have to do it. I recently interviewed someone on the show and, and she was a lawyer and she had never always wanted to be with food, but because of, like you mentioned, you know, pressures from parents or other people, mm -hmm. she pursued something that really wasn't in her heart. And eventually she realized and she changed and, and good for her, but, you know, might have been better had they had done it sooner. But again, you know, every, everyone has to make those decisions when it's right for them and, and financially mm -hmm. and mentally and, and, and jump on board when it works. And she, it was funny, she also mentioned, we talked about the difficulties in culinary school and the challenges that you go through. She also mentioned, and I've heard it from other people, that she thought culinary school was harder than law school. So, <laughs> and for her, it's not as difficult. You know, because it was uh, law school was a lot of theory and a lot of book work. And, you know, you could study and take tests and stuff. But here, it's physically, mm -hmm. you got to stand up, you got to chop, you got to cut, it's hot. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more. And, and the homework, you know, the assignments and the homework and the projects that you have to do and the practical exams, you know, mm -hmm. and, and many students say that, that it's like a, a lot more challenging or harder than they thought it was originally can you just share yeah go ahead i've had a student she was 55 years old at the time that she was my student and um being 55 she's close to you know retirement age huh. 
and this is a mother her her children have grown up already so she's just doing basically nothing because she's just at home tending to her plants and she realized that this is something that i can pursue at 55 but i remember she was very tense in the first day because she said i don't feel smart enough all of my classmates are younger than me all of them are sharp and if you ask me to memorize this uh, set of ingredients i cannot do that in one sitting i have to spend an hour two hours to memorize it because i'm not as sharp anymore compared to these students and uh, there was a time she wanted to quit i think that was the first day of school because she had uh, the first week of school rather because she felt that at 55 she is too old to to learn things to stand up eight hours to com to um, compete with younger people in class but you know what Jeff? she she stood out in the class maybe because of the, the maturity and also again she would say i am 55 i have nothing to lose i already lost many years of my life that i need to pursue this but if now i'm giving time to myself to finally pursue this if i get to do this in just five years i'll still be happy and she actually finished um, top of her class which is very good that's awesome i find the same thing these adult learners that are you know career changes that are coming back into it they always are questioning themselves they're always like i i don't know if i can do this I, i'm too old they're, they're so young but then they realize they end up being the top of the class they always rise mm -hmm. to the top they're the leaders of the class the younger students follow behind yeah. them and by the end you know they're usually the valedictorians that are giving the speeches at graduation and it's like they come in so you know different when they and they don't have that 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 confidence, but they should. And if anyone out there is listening, it's never too late. Get in the game, you know, just jump in. Yes. Um, I want to talk about competitions. I've noticed you've done a lot of them. You know, you've done a lot of competitions throughout your career. Uh, what, what did you learn from those competitions? Why did you do them? You know, you must have won some. You must have lost some. What are the lessons that you pulled out of them? Why, why were you driven to these competitions? When I was still studying, Chef, I had to do competitions because that was part of my scholarship. I have to represent my school. But initially, it was just a, an interest. The, the school uh, is joining competition at the time and they needed an assistant to, to do the preps, the missing plans, the, the washing up and stuff. And I volunteered to, to help. But it so happened one of the competitors got sick and they need a replacement a week before. And who would be the someone fitting to, to do the role? <laughs> it would be me because <laughs> I've been, I've been with them. So uh, they, they picked me and then, um, I was the replacement basically and it so happened that we won in that competition and it just continued on for me and at the time um you were a teenager going to your 20s and joining competition at one point i was able to compete internationally i didn't win okay i didn't win and that was my first loss but uh, again that was international competition but at, at that age you feel that if you don't win in a competition that you are a failure already or if you don't win that it would matter in your career but a competition just like a an award after some time you have to get another one and then after some time of getting another one you need to get another one because the urge the personal urge just makes you feel like you have to, to join, you have to win, you have to learn this, you have to train for this and stuff. It doesn't end there. If you don't win in a certain competition, you join again or you join next year. If you want, you can use the same piece and just improve it and then try maybe it will win next time. And I also learned that apart from it doesn't define your career if you're not someone who joins competition, it just gives you more edge. If you uh, join competition, it gives you more edge because it proves that you are dis disciplined, that you can follow instructions, you can work in a team, you're creative and stuff. But it doesn't really define you because I also have students, chef, in one university that I've taught that, that if you don't win, if you don't get a slot, because there are a lot of students and there are limited slots, 
in the competition that the school will join. There is limited budget. The students feel so insecure that I wasn't picked. I wasn't chosen to, to represent the school. And their self-esteem just shrinks because they feel that they're not good enough. But only for me to tell them, you know what, when you graduate, you can join independently. You don't need the school to register to competitions. You can join on your own. You can train on your own. And um, maybe your workplace can also support you. So it's just really a matter of keeping go keep going and um, keep training. And if your bosses see that you have the potential, they will be really happy to support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and like you said, win or lose, you still learn. You're still growing. It's challenging yourself, and, and that's an important part of it. And it's just, you know, keep learning. It's all part of it. And then don't let it get in your head. Very important. Because <laughs> some, some students also experience this personally. That if you win something in a competition, no matter how uh, small the competition is, it gets in your head that you are the smartest or the, the most skilled. But again, after some time, that competition is replaced with another year of competition. You just have to keep nurturing that skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody likes to lose, but you know, you do, you, you pick yourself up, you learn from that mistake, rejection, whatever it is, and make yourself better. Yes. So what do you think the future is of culinary school? You know, now we've got this global pandemic, we've got a lot more technology, we've got, you know, things that are going on. The world is definitely pivoting. We're in a, in a big change going on. We don't know if it'll ever go back to the way it was, which may be a good thing. Where do you see culinary school, this industry going in the future? To be honest, Chef, I have had a lot of reservations and um, it goes, I think, for everyone who teaches in culinary because... Um, cooking and baking is very tactile. You have to taste, you have to, to work with your hands. And the discipline, you have to see your students from, from uh, the way they stand up, the posture, the way they, they tuck their shirts, the way they, they do their neckerchief and stuff, the way they, they handle the meat, the, the way they hold the spatula and stuff. And it's very challenging that you cannot see that if it's online cannot see how the students perform at home and you cannot give them encouragement all the time um, not as much as when you were in the lab and it was very challenging at first I thought that is impossible because again it's very tactile and you cannot compensate that with online but I think you just really have to try and there are schools now who have invested in online program and what's beautiful about it is you get to, to assess the curriculum and the program again. Um, as culinary school teachers, we prioritize what's really important skill set that we want the students to have at the end of the program, regardless if we were physically there to teach them. And if we were able to teach them the, the fundamentals without face-to-face um, -face and then just online, then it means that we are effective as teachers, and we have a strong program. The instructions, the recipes are standardized. And it's important to encourage students that even if without the, the, the teachers seeing them, to just try, give it a try. I think in the future, now that it's pandemic and everything has turned online, online school, it's really an edge to have a program that's uh, still competitive, still intensive, but a lot simpler in terms of the delivery and consistent. The consistency shop is very important because a lot of schools right now here in the Philippines, culinary schools haven't opened. A lot of schools haven't opened and um, a lot of them don't know if, how will they proceed because you lose the laboratory. And our curriculum is made of 90% laboratory, which is the, the practical kitchen and 10% lectures. So this is a total shift for us. We have to um, hustle to create a program that would um, encourage students to still enroll, even if they're not in physical classes. But uh, it also gives us the opportunity to improve the curriculum structure that we have at the moment. Mm -hmm. Instead of 90% practical lab and just 10% lecture, maybe it will change in the future to 100% um, online but 100% competitive and intensive. Hmm. 
So I was reading your bio and I noticed that you said that you were an average student. You didn't really excel too much in your studies. And um, <laughs> I'm wondering what advice could you give or what advice, guidance would you give to someone that wanted to go to culinary school and what they wanted to get into this career? And maybe they're worried about their academic background or they're thinking, you know, maybe I don't have the grades because especially if they listen to us and we said it is tough and there's a lot of projects in there. What would you tell them? My advice would be, this is a personal advice. Have a notebook. If you're good with drawing or writing, or even if you sketch really ugly, just have a small notebook. And whatever question that you have in mind, you write it there. Example, if you don't understand the demo, uh, write down your questions. Or if you are someone who uh, learns better if you write things point by point, then do it. Because I remember when I was a student, I couldn't follow the demo. That's why I did an Excel chef. Example, if it's a tourney, I couldn't follow how to make the tourney just watching it. And I couldn't draw, draw properly. So I couldn't also draw how to make the seven sides in, in a sketch. So I have to find a way um, to uh, make the learning conducive for my learning style. Because the learning style in culinary school is very standard. Um, a lot of schools have a structured curriculum, but it's not um, applicable to all learning styles. Right? Some students are visual learners. Some are audio learners. or uh, they, they learn better if they hear things. And as for me, I figured out that I am a, um, a learner that learns better if I write things. So if um, you think that you are a slow learner like me, you have to figure out which learning style is more effective for you because your instructors will be uh, supportive, encouraging. Uh, my, I remember I have had instructors who are very patient with me even if I ask things twice, three times, even if I make them um, five questions at once. One by one, they were like, they were very patient. It, it really matters because at the end of the day, you are a student and we are teachers. So it's our role to make you understand or to answer your questions the best that we can. Because a lot of students are afraid to ask questions. They are embarrassed that um, they will be judged, that they didn't follow the, the demo as, uh, as quick as the others. But it's very important that you... you, you Allow yourself find which learning style is effective for you to understand things. So again, uh, have the notebook and also practice at home. It's also very important. For example, you can do the tourney in class, but you can bring home the potatoes or buy carrots on your way home and practice. Spend time, practice. Uh, sacrifice a weekend instead of playing outside practice at home. Yeah, that's key. The repetition is the key to learning. So you got to do it over and over and over and, you know, just watching a demo or listening to a lecture. That sometimes isn't enough, especially in this, you know, practical hands-on kind of culinary world. So, you know, you just got to go back and, and do that repetition. Alrighty, great. So what's next for you? What's next for Chef Joyce? Where are you going to see yourself, you know, in the, in the near future, in five years? What's your plans as you go through your career? Right now, my goal is to finish the master's degree. And also, I'm in the process of writing a patisserie book. Uh, my book is a Filipino-flavored patisserie items. So example, ice creams, cookies, because I also would want to advocate the Filipino desserts and the heritage Filipino desserts, not only locally, but also overseas. I feel like it's my duty to influence the young pastry chefs to, to look around them and know their heritage desserts better and not just learn the Western patisserie. It's so important that as a, as a chef, you know your cuisine and you know your heritage desserts. Well, that's cool. Where can someone get your book? Where is it going to be available? How can they, how can they find this? It's a cookbook called Sublime by Joyce Kalayak. It will be available on Amazon Kindle as an ebook. All right. And so what, what was the release date of that? It will be hopefully a third week of November this year. And you can follow my um, book journey on Instagram as at Joyce Dudo. That's J-O-I-C-Y-D-O-O-D-L-E. 
Okay, great. And I'll put that in the show notes too. So anyone's listening uh, can go back and find that information to be able to follow you and hopefully get that cookbook once it's released. Thank you. Great. As we come to the end of our chat today, and before we wrap up, any last minute thing you want to share with the listeners, advice, guidance, something you want to tell them before we close? I would just like to encourage everyone that if you already figured out what you really want to do, just be honest with yourself and then pursue it no matter what. It's so important right now. We have we are in a crazy world. Okay. It's a crazy time. And you might as well you use your time properly, invest with education, practice at home. And um, so it's a, a it's a good time right now as well because we have more resources there are a lot of ways to become a professional chef now than before there are um, resources online there are more culinary schools and you can also work as a chef and uh, learn the trades in the industry and not just go to a professional culinary school if that's something that works better for you you just have to be more open to yourself and be honest and pursue it with whatever that uh, comes in your way, just pursue it. Awesome. Great way to end the show. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this, this episode. And it's the end of season number one of the Culinary School Stories podcast. And I want to first thank you, Joyce, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We appreciate your time and your insight and all of your honesty. Thanks again. Thank you, Chef. I've had a great time, and uh, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye now. Take care. Yeah. Bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.